Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me as usual is uh, Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, good morning, afternoon-ish, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Well, it's uh, it's an exciting day because, you know, as our listeners know, we always say, hey, if you have thoughts or you want to discuss with us or anything, you know, let us know. And I'm very excited because someone reached out to us right away from one of our previous podcasts, and we have him on. And so this is uh, fantastic, and uh, he's proof that we say what we do. So let me introduce you, and I'm going to do my best, hopefully I get it right, to Badri Ravi Kanth Kumar, who's a principal performance engineer at Dell. Ravi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve and Rob. It's, it's great to have you on. So before we go, why don't you... Um, you know, give us a little history about yourself, a little bit about your background, what you're working on, and then we can kind of jump into the discussions. And uh, hopefully, uh, I, I always hope that someone's ready to take on Rob and, and defeat him in a discussion. So oh, I, am, oh. I am fully supporting you here, Robbie. Oh. <laughs> that, that's, that's stressful. I mean, let me try that. <laughs> sure. All right. Um, so uh, my name is pronounced as Ravikan Chaganti. Chaganti is my family name. Uh, have like uh, 20, close to 20 years of experience in IT. I started back in uh, 2000, um, uh, late 2000, I think. Uh, started with a services company. I did a lot of uh, data center management and uh, you know networking and server management, etc. For the first two and a half years, and for the last uh, 16 plus years, uh, been at Dell. Uh, doing different things. I started in their uh, operating systems uh, team, which was basically about you know validating these uh, Windows, NetWare, and Linux operating systems on powered servers, etc. Then moved on to start a few solution teams. So I worked on the workload solutions like you know uh, the Exchange, SharePoint, um, Skype for Business, or the Link in in the older generation of uh, software. Uh, did a lot of infrastructure solutions with it. Uh, then slowly moved on to virtualization and cloud. Um, helped set up a couple of teams uh, with respect to the VMware and um, Hyper-V related uh, infrastructure solutions. And then uh, right now doing software defined storage at Dell. Um, my interest area, a keen interest I have in automation. So most of the work that I do at Dell, I own kind of automation work streams uh, in most of the places. And then I kind of see how we can actually use automation within our labs to uh, improve our processes and make the team more efficient so that we can focus on the value adds uh, that we can actually bring to the table, right? Uh, from a product and a solution point of view. Um, I'm a multi-year recipient of uh, Microsoft MVP award, uh, the more Microsoft's most valuable professional award in uh, PowerShell. I think the first time I received was in um, 2010. And uh, I'm also founder and editor on the PowerShell Magazine uh, uh, website. It's a, it's a blog. Uh, we started with a goal of uh, publishing a magazine, but we have not done that yet. But uh, um, that's, that's actually one of the very interesting projects I've taken up, right? That's interesting. Also, what type of topics do you cover on the blog? Uh, that's mostly cloud, PowerShell, automation, and um, the uh, DevOps-related topics, but mostly focused on um, uh, Microsoft ecosystem. But PowerShell is now on Linux as well, so we started uh, working a bit on the Linux side of things as well. I've also written a couple of books on uh, PowerShell. Um, if you have heard about something called PowerShell Desired State Configuration, that is the equivalent of um, Ansible, Chef, and Puppet kind of things on uh, Microsoft side. 
uh, I've written a couple of books on that, and that's where my interest in um, infrastructure as code as well. You know, uh, I use these um, you know PowerShell and de desired state configuration quite a bit in my own work. I've uh, created different pipelines, you know, that kind of deploy the bare metal hardware and do a lot of things within my lab, etc. So um, I'm pretty much connected to the infrastructure as code aspects. Um, there's a couple of things that you said that I definitely want to make sure we we talk through because I think the the phrase desired state is is going to be is really interesting from an infrastructure as code perspective, um, and and I haven't met anybody who's doing PowerShell on Linux, so I'm I'm super curious about about that as an alternative too. So there's there's a couple of interesting things to dig into, sure. um, from that perspective. I know that you had you had reached out to us because of the the conversations we were having about infrastructure as code, so. As a topic that I, I know that we want to cover in the in on the podcast, where you get to be the the first person to take a swing at the bat, or the um, still bat with cricket, right? We can we can use yeah. the cricket term. Yes. <laughs> yes. First swing cricket, at the bat. It, cricket has become a part of this podcast. It's all my fault, Ravi, and uh, <laughs> so blame me. Uh, or for, I'm going to have to brush that. up on my, my, my cricket sports analogies. <laughs> my sports analogy foo is so weak, I, I, can, I can raise the bar significantly. Now I'm going to have to do sports analogies the whole show. I'm, I'm in deep trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh boy. So do you, you know, we, we've, we, I've been doing some research about what infrastructure as code is. And we had a twits, tweet, Twitter stream that um, blew up a little bit with people arguing about infrastructure as code. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a area ripe for confusion. Do you want to sort of define it for us? What, what you're, what you think of when you see infrastructure as code reference? Sure. Uh, so it, my point of view, right? I mean, the infrastructure as code is something when you define your infrastructure in terms of um, think of it like software and define it as uh, uh, data and lines of code, the entire infrastructure is actually defined as uh, in a declarative manner, for example, right? Um, as data and code, and then you kind of use these software development practices to maintain your infrastructure, deploy and configure your infrastructure, and then eventually monitor that infrastructure using the software defined, I mean, or the software uh, development practices, right? So that's what infrastructure as code is really about, right? Now, okay. When you actually look at a complex infrastructure uh, that you're deploying, or even not even complex infrastructure, you know, if you take earlier days of uh, IT management, etc., you know, when I started my job, I used to spend like a couple of days bringing up, um, let's say, a cluster of servers uh, to you know make sure that it's ready for the day zero operations and so on. Now, with the advent of uh, cloud, you know, the kind of um, advantages that actually cloud has shown us the agility, right, in terms of how quickly the services can be deployed and consumed. Uh, getting those principles into a on-premises data center also, I think, um, uh, some kind of um, changes in the IT organizations as well. Automation played a very big role, and it's still playing a very big role, but automation is not exactly infrastructure as code. It's more than that, right? Uh, automation actually gives you the ability to automatically deploy and configure things, but not uh, necessarily give you the complete uh, picture of um, uh, infrastructure as code because um, you know the principles behind the software development are definitely not there uh, when you only look at automation as a, a vehicle for deploying these things. So, so let me let me. I want to step back because you're you're saying a couple of things, and I want to make sure that that we get on the same page for this. Because um, there there's 
you're you're um, a little out. You're, there's I, I would almost call it lanes of infrastructure as code definitions for people. You're you're in a different lane than than some of the ones that I've been hearing more prominently. Um, you know, because what I'm what I'm hearing you saying for infrastructure as code, it's really about taking coding practices and applying it to infrastructure. Uh, there's there's a component in when I hear people doing infrastructure as code, and you know, uh, there's some people want to want to define what you're describing, I guess, as infrastructure as software, but there's a platform piece for that. What about you know regular configuration management? A lot of people are like infrastructure as code is just I take my configuration files and I, I stuff them and get. Their source control code, right? They're managed like code. Yay, I have configuration files. Is that, that's not infrastructure as code or is that a, a part of the spectrum? Well, um, so the, the way I see it is um, configuration as code or all of the configuration management platforms or tooling that we use as a part of infrastructure automation is is a is an essential part of infrastructure as code. It's not outside of it, right? Now, for example, you know, when I said a declarative way of defining your infrastructure, we really want to kind of have, uh, you know, have a mechanism or a method to define your infrastructure in terms of what you want to achieve, the desired state of the infrastructure, right? Um, the imperative scripting is definitely there underlying somewhere, you know, which is basically making sure that there's um, um, the whole automation actually does what you really want it to do. but the declarative piece is what basically is defines your infrastructure. Now you take that and then apply uh, your you know software development practices like you know putting everything into source control, versioning your infrastructure configurations, and then making sure before you actually deploy any of these things into production or any other workloads, etc. You basically do some kind of integration testing and uh, you know make make sure that the continuous delivery is met, right? And once you have this whole thing deployed onto the production servers, et cetera, you kind of uh, may want to do some functional testing, right? This should be an automated cycle. Now, this is this kind of a pipeline is what I define as infrastructure as code, not necessarily only the configuration management aspects or putting those automation scripts or configuration scripts into source control. This is this entire pipeline that of things that, that is what infrastructure as code for me. So I, I love your definition. Um, and it's what I want infrastructure as code to mean. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I, I don't, I don't know that the industry agrees with us yet. So I want to, I want to hold on arguing about what infrastructure of code means. <laughs> then. And I want to talk about what, 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 what this aspirational thing that you're describing that, that I'm not sure has a name and maybe we can, we can talk about names later, but I want to, I want to really talk about what you're describing because there's components that came up in the discussion that are we've seen and we need to tease apart more from an infrastructure perspective um and so first thing we're, we keep talking about infrastructure this is an infrastructure conversation it's not a code application delivery conversation yep. uh we're, we're all infrastructure and ops related people here so yay um and I'm not going to, we're, we're, we're going to not steer towards the word DevOps. I'm saying it so that we don't have to say it. Yes, DevOps, we get it. Um, but you, you've described uh, continuous, continuous integration, continuous deployment pipelines. You've described dynamic infrastructure, which we'll, we'll, can we use that as a placeholder for cloud? So it includes on-premises type things. Yep. And then um immutability is another thing that that you sort of hinted at and i think is what people talk about from a 
um, when they talk about defining something in source control, you know, they talk about immutability. Is that a, do you, does that make sense to you? Is that, a, is that the right word? No, immutability uh, is the ideal world, right? I mean, that, that's what uh, we should try and achieve. But uh, it's not probably always possible with the kind of uh, infrastructure that, that we deal with. I mean, for example, bare metal servers. Now, with bare metal servers, achieving immutability takes longer than actually making configuration changes in a foolproof way. Right. Oh, I, would strongly dis- I would strongly disagree with that statement. We, we, we deploy servers immutably much faster than um, standard configurations. But, but that, that we can hold for another day. Let's take performance off the table because, right, I think that, that we, we do want to, you know, we need our systems to be performant. But what we're talking about with infrastructure as code is really about control and robustness, right? It's not, you know, ideally it's faster, but the, we have a, a control problem in, in IT first. Yep. That, do yep. you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. You know, with with the extent of virtualization, you know, that started in the mid, uh, I mean, last decade, I think 2006, 2005 timeframe with ESX coming into picture and then all of the virtualization vendors, you know, there was, uh, we have seen in the enterprises a virtualization or the VM sprawl, right? Uh, everyone has a virtual machine and no one actually had a track of how they created it, why they created it, who's using it and so on. Now, um, bringing in aspects like infrastructure as code and control points into that can actually give you a better view into those, um, you know, the VM sprawl and who's actually using it. How do you manage it? For example, patching these uh, virtual machines once they're created, like hundreds of virtual machines are created. Now, as if you don't have a process around that, uh, you know, patching uh, methods and so on, you'll actually run into issues of configuration drift, for example, right? Now you have given the virtual machine. You're going to have you're going to have configuration drift no matter what, right? If even if you have a chef or a puppet and manage to get that on that agent on every machine, you still you still typically see configuration drift. Exactly, um, exactly. But but the the configuration as code. I mean, any of these management platforms that we talk about, PowerShell, DSC, or others in Ansible, Chef and Puppet, etc. Right? They actually give you those control points. For example, within PowerShell DSC, we have this mechanism to just monitor the drift and notify the administrator, or you can actually monitor and autocorrect. So once I've defined the uh, desired state, I have control over what I really want to do when there is a drift. Without this tooling, you know, if you just want to do everything in your way of doing automation, then you'll have to be really careful about uh, writing those wrappers around, checking the uh, state, current state of the system and matching it to something like a desired state, and then making sure that you either correct or report, etc., all yourself. But that, that's where you know the configuration management platform started helping us. Yeah, so I want to I want to drill into this because you know we we've got immutability and desired state, um, and what you're describing is desired state from a configuration management perspective, which I, I think is you know we saw this for a while. It actually was sort of frustrating for people to have systems continually reverting back, yeah. but when we when, when we talk about desired state, it feels like the conversation has been up-leveled by Kubernetes in some ways, right? It's sort of like, give me a configuration file that includes a whole bunch of moving parts and, you know, platform, make that happen. Is that, how do you, is that a fair, when you say desired state, is that, is that line up with your thinking or is there something different? 
no that, that that's exactly the thing right i mean uh, we we basically give it a configuration document or a playbook kind of a thing and they say make it so you know so that's the desired state from me right and so the things i've seen we've people have been splitting splitting the baby um from that perspective you know infrastructure as code is the configuration side desired state something that that creates desired state or enforces desired state is a different thing um what do you what is the other i mean and and i think your definition and to an extent i'm still evolving mine um says oh infrastructure as code is the whole thing what is that other thing the desired state component is there a name for it um desired state um um i don't know the, the way i see it is basically i have uh, the configuration management tooling that i'm using and any type of an artifact that can be used with this configuration management platform for example in the case of uh, partial dsc it is configuration script uh, or the documents that we call or in case of ansible let's say it's a playbook now or chef it is recipe this is what i uh, where i define my desired state right these playbooks actually tell my desired state now right. how do i apply these principles of like you know uh, when i put them into source control and have the other aspects of software development practices built around build around it that's what i call configuration as code makes sense right so it does i guess the when i think about what the configuration management tools have historically done they do not particularly worry about state so right i mean i i, I maybe i should distinguish between day day 0 and day 1 or day 2 desired state mm -hmm. right I, I i totally get i build a configuration file and that is the state i desire to set up initially yeah. But a running system does not maintain that desired state by itself, right? You have to collect information about what the system's actually configured to and then, you know, coerce it back into that shape or or just know that it's drifted. It's right. This to me is the infrastructure is code conversation or infrastructure is whatever conversation is not just about, hey, can I set my systems up? That's That's a conversation from a while ago. It's what is the state of my system after it's been running for a month? Um, yep. How do I patch it? How do I upgrade it? How do I, you know, this, what you were talking about VM sprawl, part of the challenge of VM sprawl was those, those machines drifted. Um, and there was, you, you didn't know what they were. You didn't have a way to patch them because you didn't know how they were built in most cases. Yep. Um, where, where do we, you know, so desired, so is, or can we move to a place where desired state is not configuration target? It's ongoing you know the, the system in an ongoing place how, how do we get there huh. so uh, that's an interesting point right i mean um the, the way the way we have been doing is um let's say any change that i want to really perform on this infrastructure now i have a day zero configuration done right let's say uh, the whole scenario is about um, setting up a virtualization server or a cluster now I've done the day zero configuration using my desired state, whatever I have defined as a part of my configuration document. Now, as a part of day 50, for example, I'm gonna patch these servers to maybe some XYZ release that was uh, given to me by my vendors, et cetera. Now, as a part of my, uh, you know, the infrastructure as code practices, I would, I would actually take this patch also through the same pipeline that I'm actually defining. So what happens is, in this case, the desired state itself gets updated, saying that this is the new desired state where I'm actually retaining what has been configured on the system already, 
but this is the additional configuration that I'm supplying as a patch, right? Now, once I update this in my source control, that's when the whole cycle of uh, you know the validations of the testing triggers, and then eventually it goes into the continuous deployment aspects of it and goes into the production um, as a new desired state or the updated desired state. So the, the thing is, you have to have that pipeline always built, and any change that you want to perform in this infrastructure on this infrastructure has to go through this pipeline always. So, so from that perspective, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the, the continuously integrated pipeline. What, what you're really describing is expanding a continuous pipeline to include, you know, more deployment information, right? So you're, you're sort of any change that, that you want to make into your production environment is going through a, a, a pipeline for deployment. Is that, is that what you're inferring with this? Exactly, yes. Continuously, it's continuously integrated infrastructure from that perspective. That's right. Right, and then and then does that mean that we can extend it? Right, because usually CI/CD pipelines historically have been um, application deployment. Right, you you package a container and then you ship the container to the running platform, or you update the the, the packages and they they you know they they inst get installed on a machine. You might trigger a VM recycle. Is that is that sort of where this where this went? I can. My, the exit of my pipeline is build a new VM? No, no, not necessarily, right? I mean, today, uh, give, let me give you an example of uh, some of the work that I have done in this space. Um, you know, I, I build these bare metal clusters, uh, you know, running either, let's say, uh, Hyper-V, right, uh, for virtualization platform and so on. Now, when I build this cluster, my entire code for that actually is residing in a source control system. Now, you know pretty well that you know bare metal servers have these uh, requirements of uh, um, doing the firmware updates on a regular basis and so on. The operating system has drivers that you need to update on a regular basis and so on, right? Now, the way we have built this whole pipeline is any point in time, let's say I need to validate a new firmware that my um, component team released. All I have to really do is I check in this firmware into my source control system that's when I trigger the pipeline, which basically goes and either updates based on what the state of the infrastructure today is. Let's say I don't want to do a, a complete, uh, like immutable infrastructure that you're talking about, right? I, I don't want to really do a, a complete re-imaging of the servers. It's just that I want to upgrade this firmware. Then I have to follow a different branch of uh, code, wherein I just go put my cluster into a maintenance mode, perform this firmware upgrade, validate a few things, um, keep doing that until the cluster is upgraded. Or if I really want to do it the immutable way of doing things, I just want to you know, bring up all the servers in an automated manner to you know, go on to Pixie or something like that, install operating system, and then um, have this cluster configured using my configuration artifacts that I just defined, and then have this uh, firmware updates also done as a part of the entire process, right? So, that's the that's the type of a pipeline I'm really referring to here, right? So it can be done. It's not necessarily just about um, uh, the VM creations or the application deployments and then doing some functional testing on top of it. It can be the complete end-to-end uh, -end infrastructure that you're uh, referring to. It can be your switches, you know. For example, you want to change your switch configuration based, based on how you're adding new servers, et cetera, into the infrastructure. Even that can be done as well. Right, so, so and, and what, but what you're describing to, you know, re relies on a degree of orchestration. We're talking about bare metal, which is near and dear to my heart. And the processes you're describing are, are ones that, right, you know, we, we're used to automating. 
it's yep. what you're describing relies on, you know, if you're taking a machine out of commission, you have to know where the master is. You, you should tell the system to drain it, right? Pull it out of commission. You need to apply firmware updates, which can be very tricky. You can change the NIC ordering and NIC enumeration and then actually change the way the system's built when you put it back or if they're small, then you can just reset. Um, and I, and I, public service announcement for everybody. We're getting regular significant BIOS uh, firmware level metal hacks on systems. If you're running bare metal systems and don't have a way to patch your firmware and update your operating system kernels to fix your out of execution order problems, yep, you have a serious problem. Fix, find, find this, is, this is, you know, and don't do it by hand, fix it. Um, but yeah, we're, the, you know, these are not nice to have features ultimately. It's, you know, Getting getting the infrastructure run like this is really important. What what you're describing to me, there's a degree of somebody's probably thinking, well, I can just run that. That's just some code. I can just make it happen. You know, I can just patch it or I can run a script and and fix it. What you're describing is different though, because you're hooking it to a pipeline. That to me is right. is the distinction here. It's not just a oh, I I need to patch my servers on you know today. I'll come in on the weekend and and run the process and hope everything works. What you're saying is, I have a pipeline where Firmware is part of that definition of the infrastructure, and if it's changed, it's going to run through a pipeline process that that re you know that actually walks the whole infrastructure through this this process. That's that's to you infrastructure as code. Exactly, exactly. Let let's say if I have if I have a solution infrastructure that has multiple servers, switches, and storage arrays, and so on, every attribute, every configuration attribute that I care about within the solution becomes a part of my uh, configuration as code. I mean, I, I kind of declaratively define that configuration, including the firmware uh, version numbers and everything. I kind of declaratively define that and then push it into a source control. The rest of the magic happens in the pipeline. Right. There's a lot of magic <laughs> in those cases. So, so right, I mean, because part of this is in, in doing this, and I, I keep coming back to desired state because this is one of those, those things I, I really get personally frustrated about some of the tools in market because they they aren't reconciling the current state they're they're saying oh this is what you should be just go do it or this is what i think you are go be that um and that causes all sorts of havoc in in actual running systems so how do you how do you know that the systems are in a you know how do you reconcile that state it's not it's not as simple as powershell desired state although i'm curious about how that would work too but What's what's the reconciler? Um, um, I don't know. So so what what exactly the challenge that you're seeing there in um, design state? I mean, uh, I'm trying to understand a little bit more. Yeah, I, I guess when um, uh, and and people hold out HashiCorp Terraform as a, as a as an example of this, and so I'll I'll use that as a reference. Um, although I'm, I'm not, there's something I, I it's going to sound negative because I, I think that there's a problem. Um, and it's an amazing tool, but this is the problem I see all, all over the industry is if you take a tool that says infrastructure is code, this is my, my plan for my deployment. You run it through a tool and it, it implements all that tool. It, it, it says, oh, this is what I set up. And it gives you a, a state file. Correct. If that state file is not, you know, actively being updated and managed and maintained in the systems that are where it's running, there's that state is 
immediately invalid, right? You, you, you're not getting updates. So if, if something happens in a server or there's a change or another person operates on it, um, there's always the risk that you have drift in how this, that, that state operates. Or if you collect information like, um, you know, during a Kubernetes deployment, you're going to build a, if you're using KubeADM, you're going to build a token. That token is something that has to be injected into all of your follow on pieces. It's, it's a important, it's a, it's a piece of the infrastructure state. Um, and so, you know, everything that's running in your data center, that state information is a dynamically changing thing. Um, and that to me, that, that to me is, is when you describe desired state, you want to be able to say, here's where I want you to go. Here's, you know, the system has to know where it is and then figure out the Delta. Ter Terraform will do that from a desk, from a client. Um, you know, it's that, that's, that's the missing, there's a missing piece to me. Um, I, I think the, the different tools have different ways of doing things here, right? Um, for example, uh, let me give you an example of PowerShell DSE. Um, PowerShell DSE does it locally also, and there is something called uh, a pool server. You might have this Ansible, um, you know, tower kind of a thing, which basically is orchestrating the whole thing. But in PowerShell DSE, you have this pool server concept where your configuration, your desired state is actually published to a centralized server. Now, all of these uh, agents, uh, what we call local configuration managers on Windows, they talk to this uh, pool service uh, for their desired state configuration. So the moment they see something has changed there, they try to enact that and bring the system to desired state. Now at a regular interval, right, every configurable interval, it is, I think by default, it is 15 to 30 minutes, right? Um, it kicks in a process called a consistency check. Now when the consistency check actually runs, it will basically take a snapshot of uh, the current state of the resources that were configured using one of these uh, configuration documents and then see whether that is actually matching what is there on the pool server, right? Now, if the checksum is not matching, I mean, or the state actually returns false or something, which basically means uh, there is a drift, uh, something, someone or something has changed uh, the resource configuration as you defined it to be a desired state, then that's when it will actually reenact the uh, configuration which is there. I mean, if it is configured to do so, for example, if you have set it to uh, monitor and autocorrect, it will actually go reenact the same configuration which is locally available, uh, you know, to bring the system to a desired state. If there is an update, of course, if there is a checksum change uh, that is not really matching the local uh, configuration to what is there in the published uh, pool server, it will actually pull that new desired state and automatically enact that. So um, I, I think it's it's uh, really different from different tools how they do it, um, but but this is this is how really you know today we keep track of uh, desired state with the PowerShell uh, artifacts. Makes sense, and that 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 to me that sounds very chef or puppet like uh, from that perspective. Correct. Um, Correct. And then and then there's always the the challenge of you know injecting system specific data. Um, into how those how those things operate, right? Desired, we have desired state, but we also have to reflect that, you know, RAID configurations, network configurations, and things like that. I think I think you and I are both tied on the the physical side, which I, which I appreciate. Some of these problems don't exist to the same extent for virtual machines because they always come up with e zero, and they always they you know they're they're bounded in a much you know you can sort of say give me a machine that has this much disk and this much RAM and this this network interface and 
you don't have, you know, you can inject all that stuff into your configuration system. So it, it the state challenges maybe um, are less severe from a virtual perspective. Yep. Um, and there's there's one one I want to jump back to something we were talking about. We were right on the cusp of of describing something in a way that I thought was really interesting, and I, I want to put a bow on it because I know Stephen's about to yank the carpet from under me. Um. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, don't even. Pretend. That's what I get paid the big bucks for. <laughs> so, so, so what what we were describing is this combination of things that to me are different, sort of different than I've heard people describe infrastructure as code. We're talking about continuous integration um, as an important point. We're talking about some some degree of immutability, meaning I you know I I define something and it gets deployed. I don't change it in the field. It's it's coming in as a as a proven artifact and you were, I like, I like where you were going cause you included the BIOS in that, which I think is really important. Um, cause it's a whole, the whole server as an immutable element. That's right. Um, and then, you know, very infrastructure focused. So is that a continuously integrated data center? Would that be a, a fair sort of name for it? You can say so, but that, that would be a stretch goal. I think, I mean, um, uh, for an entire data center, yes, you can do the same thing, um, but uh, that'll have its own complexities. But definitely, I mean, you you can call it so. Cool. That to me is the vision that you're describing. Is this you know I I define something in a pipeline all the way down to the BIOS connectivity, and then exactly. the system yeah. builds it. It's the yeah. continuously integrated data center. So, Rob, I, I do cut in, as you know, and, and Ravi, can I say thank you so much for reaching out to us? Um, you know, this is fantastic, Rob. This is what we were looking for, and it's, uh, it's just a great Ravi, conversation. You're super smart about this stuff. I love the PowerShell pieces, too. I had no, that's all new for me. So, Ravi, we super appreciate it. And to our listeners, you can see we were nice. Ravi, tell them we were nice. <laughs> and uh, I only made fun of Rob, and uh, but uh, no, we we appreciate you, Ravi, you coming on, um, and you know, offering your perspective. This is great, and certainly, uh, you know, as a as a listener of ours, you know, keep listening. If there's more you want to talk about, just reach out. Um, if anyone's interested in uh, getting contact with you, talking with you, learning more about what you're doing, um, I know you have a LinkedIn profile. Are you on Twitter or anything? Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Ravikant is my Twitter uh, profile. Um, if anyone have questions, it, just hit me up on uh, Twitter and I can uh, answer or try to answer at least. Great. Well, Rob and Ravi, another another great podcast. Uh, this was really good. And and Rob, should we say to our listeners again, join us. Uh, we, we'd love to get more perspectives. Well, welcome, Matt, is out there. The only rug that gets pulled is mine. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks again to both of you, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. This um, is an exciting thing and a pleasure to be here.